Hey there, WellPod listeners. Today's episode contains strong language and references to drug use. And just like last time, you'll be hearing a lot of weird noises. Again, all intentional. Do not attempt to adjust your television. I have this. I have this theory yeah. about your career. Let's see. How, see if you see if you like it. <laughs> that there's so much of your um, momentum, energy comes from falling into these orbits of people. With, you pick up speed, mm. and then maybe not for reasons of your own choosing, end up out of that orbit. Mm. And but somehow, but picking up all of this fuel, momentum. I definitely did. I definitely did. But because I am so much in other people's orbits, like you said, which I think is, you know, it's a fair assessment. It's like, I'm also helpless to these other people. Like now, if Jay Maskus decided tomorrow that he was like, I don't know, you know, I'm going to go to India and really <laughs> sort myself out over the next five years. I would be like in a position of not, you know, I would be. I'm in kind of a vulnerable position just financially and stuff like that. And I kind of, I do, I do wish I had kind of stuck to my guns with some really basic, you know, ideas that I had, like creative ideas. And I kind of wish I did not streamline myself at certain, you know what I'm saying? I kind of wish I did really hold on to some of the, you know, more radical creative instincts that I had. Welcome to The Well. I am Brandon Edgens. And I am Anson Mount. Last time on The Well, we got a history of Lou Barlow. If you haven't heard part one, a partial history of Lou Barlow, I suggest you go back now and listen to that. In this episode, part two of our Barlow trilogy, we'll hear from an artist reflecting upon a career full of name changes, regrets, what drives him as a writer, and finally accepting after many years of denial, his identity as a performer. When did you know you were going to be a performer? I think it was the the first moment I walked onto a stage. Uh, I was in high school, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was was like a lightning bolt. It was, um, I'd never felt anything quite like that. What's the feeling? Being outside of yourself, being in um, ecstasis, mm, okay. which is, you know, the Greek roots of the word ecstasy mm-hmm. means outside of oneself. I wow. felt just like that. When you realized that you wanted to do this, was there ever a moment where, like, where you told your mom this and she, she was like, yeah, figures. She was supportive because she had been forced to go to college. And dropped out after the first semester because she realized that she wanted to be a golfer and nothing that she was learning in her psychology major was preparing her to be a golfer. And so she understood what passion was about and she said, go for it. Oh, she she just recognized the spark. Yeah. Okay. But she also realized that for me, my path was going to be through academics as well. Mm-hmm. And she supported me to because to she do knew that, that you weren't going to be a really good actor. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Now, my mom said something interesting to me the other day. Because I have a young, I have a, you know, year and a half, a half old uh, child. And we've been getting her into Fisher-Price toys, you know, the little people and the 
like the little people house, the little people barn. You know, when you open the door, it moves, and the little people Sesame Street neighborhood. And uh, my favorite one was the little people garage that you kind of you could drive the cars up and had a little little uh, elevator for the cars that would. And uh, I said to my mom, like, God, you know, I wish we just destroyed all those toys, you know. And she said, Yeah, you know, you you started using that as a stage. Because I don't really consider myself comfortable with performing necessarily, and I, you know, I never was like, I'm gonna do this, you know, I'm gonna be in a band, you know, I never, I, of course, I ended up in bands because it just, when I did that in the early 80s, it was a, it was this sort of hardcore punk scene that was very inclusive and it didn't really have anything to do, you didn't have to be talented, you didn't have to, it was, you just needed this drive, and it was actually my, it was my community, you know, that's the, these, this was the music that I related to and the people that I related to, you know, here I am like 51 years old and going, and finally going, oh, I guess I really, <laughs> I guess I, I guess I really wanted to be on stage and I really wanted, I wanted to do this, you know, and uh, rather than it pulling me along, which I think I've always liked, I liked, I've always liked the narrative of it of it manipulating me rather than me manipulating it. You know, like I've always liked that kind of pretense. And like, but fuck it, I'm, I obviously wanted to do it from an early age, so. I love the honesty of that because, um, you know, in the theater, there's this very famous quote by Stanislavski, who's considered the grandfather of acting teachers. Love the art in yourself rather than yourself in the art, which is a great quote I've always loved. But at a certain point, I'm kind of like, eh. And there has to be part of us that actually wants to perform and admits that we want to perform and enjoys the fact that we're on the stage. You, you, you have to acknowledge and use the, the joy you ha have in being on stage. Otherwise, why be there? Well, that's, that's, that's kind of the the crux of this whole thing with with Lou is that he was a, a conflicted performer who for some reason would not let himself off the hook in that way. It's got something to do with a deep insecurity. Oh, yeah. A deep sense of... Um, uh, and, and not being worthy of being in the spotlight. Oh, dude, I totally... You know? Oh, man, I had that. When I was... A much younger actor and I would ever when I would have a big movie coming out or a big TV show premiering I would get this the weirdest thing would happen to me consistently I would have this weird guilt attack yeah. this feeling of of guilt and I didn't know where it was coming from until I got into therapy and I, I eventually figured it out it's because and this is why Lou reminds me a lot of myself as a young man me too is that I was not supposed to be that guy I was the guy that was supposed to sit in the back of the class and shut up and hope that the bullies didn't stuff me in the trash can. I was not I was not supposed to stand up in front of people uh -huh. and say what I thought, what I felt. And man, it, I, it's so crazy how something as simple as that can escape your attention as an adult.
taking that risk of putting yourself out there is scary for most people. And for Lou, he frequently had more self-assured people, like Jay Maskus, take the lead. Jay was Lou's first creative collaborator, until Jay kicked Lou out of their first band, Dinosaur Jr., setting Lou upon a 20-year journey that would see him teaming up and breaking up with many other collaborators before finally reuniting with Jay in 2007. Now in his 50s, and with the benefit of hindsight, Lou can see what went wrong. Well, I think you were, when you said like that I was in other people's orbit, and I, I often like had other people to, t- um, to share the responsibility for me, you know. That's probably one of the one of my regrets is that I should have never expected anybody to take responsibility, equal responsibility for anything. That's which is probably one of the most painful things that I've learned. You know, that's a really complex thing to do is to share responsibility for something with people. I mean, it's like it's why marriages don't work out. It's why like it's really difficult and it requires full intimate like you know honesty and to keep it going you know there can always be these you know amazing periods of you know a few years maybe if you're lucky i definitely overestimated what the effect of that would be on my relationships you know and back in the day i thought you know sharing responsibility is what brought people together no, it's all about the music. You know, if we make these great records, it's something that we've done together. If we write the song, it's something that we've done together. It's something that we share, and it's like, and it's it's the you know it's it's the goal. It's the ultimate goal, and it's more important than our it's more important than our squabbles, our personal squabble, squabbles, and it's more important. And I mean, I had the again another sobering realization is like with I, with absolutely everybody but Jay, that's not true. The music is not the most important thing. The things that are the most important are these, like, the minutia of our personal relationships, all the ins and outs of the way that we talk to each other, the the subtle disrespect that we might be giving to each other. I mean, the the credible all of the ways that you can that you can um, disappoint somebody. Where, like, you know, are, those all come into play. You know, those are more important than the music that we make. You know, and I that was, you know, that was pretty disappointing. But with Jay, it's like, you know what? The music is the most important thing. And that's like, and it still is. Otherwise, he wouldn't have hung on. He wouldn't have, like, even even if he really wasn't that into it initially, he wouldn't have tried to bring me back on board unless he did believe that the music was the most important thing. Well, it seems like a contradiction in terms. You know, you say the the music or the art is the most important thing. And then you realize, no, the music or the art isn't the most important thing. Our relationships are the most important thing. Well, both are true, actually. You know, collaborative art, in a way, it fills in for the thing that is other than you and me. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that uh, I mean, thank God you and I have uh, creative endeavors together. Yeah. Uh, because it, it... I wouldn't be able to spend a minute in a room with you otherwise. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> we just sit there in silence, stony silence in a dark room going, why do I keep him around? But as long as you can keep in his, I mean, look, it starts out with, you know, I think that it, it gives you and I an excuse to hang out together. First and foremost, it, it gives us a target at which to launch ideas and bounce them off of each other. And as long as we 
keep it in mind that that is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is our friendship. Then um, I think both are true, you know. And, and, and that what happens within that creative space is not a reflection on our, fe- our personal feelings about each other. Yeah. You know, so like, oh, I don't like your idea, and we don't take it to, <laughs> it means you don't like me, <laughs> you know, which, yeah. which is what happens a lot. And when you get down to it, art really the, the 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 to our species the 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 basis of art is nothing more than an excuse to gather around the campfire. Right. That's all it is. Yeah. And what's important is the circle. We're talking about you know Lou and Jay. We're talking about two extremely different egos you know jay who is nothing but this like very confident like knows exactly what he wants to do and then there's lou who who really sort of you know loves jay and worships him and then there's this guy who won't talk to him and won't validate his ideas and again it goes back to the campfire there's a reason that we go into a concert hall we want the lights to go down there's a reason when we gather around a campfire want the campfire to be the center of focus and the darkness behind us it's because we want ourselves to dim it takes us out of it exactly and it becomes about the thing it becomes about the light right with respect to Jay, it's like he coming back into his his orbit, you know, it, it was it felt it was it could have been very risky for me to do that because he was such a powerful thing, you know, and powerful figure in my life, you know, but in a lot of ways, it's really uh, it's it's been probably one of the most life affirming things that I've done where it's just like I'm and he actually he's a he is a he does really believe in music. Really, he's really obsessed with it. He's obsessed with all the details of it. And that is something we have in common, and, and it's a big thing to have in common because it's, I've, I found, to my disappointment in a lot of my other relationships, the music did not solve all of our problems, you know. This is as far as I go. I stopped it from glory and I know Lou is happy to be making music with Jay again, but it has always surprised me that he felt like he needed collaborators because I always thought his creative voice was unique and strong enough to stand on its own and that his strength was his adaptability. He thought that too. A lot of people feel like they're protecting um, a body of work, mm. a certain image, or whatever. And I was going to say, it doesn't seem like you were ever interested in no, that. No, I wasn't. But- I have a real dislike of that kind of preciousness, you know. I mean, I did. I actually felt my my strength was my adaptability, you know. I think I kind of overestimated the audience's uh, ability to kind of know that I, that all of these things were connected. You know what I mean? Like, still to this day, like, they'll be like, I could say to somebody, oh, you know, I also have my band Sebado. I mean, a, a huge dinosaur genius. Like, You're in Sebado? And, like, they honestly have no idea. I mean, it's not that, and it's not, that's not their 
nobody needs to know that stuff. I'm not saying that anybody should be putting, you know, drawing these lines between things and figuring out my story. You know, nobody should. Yeah, I keep being sad that people don't recognize me from Crossroads. Yeah, right? <laughs> Are you the guy from Hell on Wheels? No, I'm the guy from Crossroads. <laughs> I kind of overestimated, like, because I kind of thought, oh, no, they'll all, they'll get it, you know? And, like, when I step into the role of Dinosaur Jr., they'll be like, hey, that's that guy from Sebado, and I'll have this certain amount of, like, I'll have this cash cachet sort of that I can bring around all these things and... But I don't. Like, every time that I do something, it's liter- It's kind of like starting over again. I was caught up in the 90s and did think that I would have this momentum that could carry me a little further than it did, you know? And that's a little... That's really sobering. Even I, as a person who watched closely, saw these names change from Sebado, Centrido, Lubicor, you know? It, it, it seemed like there was... And I got the impression that you were... Uh, didn't like necessarily attention on you so that it was, this was a, a name change so you could kind of stay focused on what you wanted to do and not be concerned about consistency or image. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really... I mean, looking back on it, yeah, it's like I, I definitely... You know, it's the cliche, you know, shoot yourself in the foot. I definitely probably did that <laughs> repeatedly. You do something like that as a way, as almost like an excuse... You know, so that when, if it does fail, you're like, well, you know, it's, it's because I changed the name. And, <laughs> and if it does, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I can't, I mean, I can just of, you know, hear that's part of what I lose therapy bill, just increasing as you're talking to him because in keeping with his ability to just like jump on somebody else's mm-hmm. energy, him listening to you sort of like pick him apart psychologically. It's just like. Oh, yeah. I never thought about that. This, this the openness of him that, yeah. on one hand, is his cross to bear, for sure. Yeah. But is also what makes him such an incredibly versatile, sensitive writer. And, and here you are, somebody who's just coming in to interview him. You've never met him before. And clearly a fan. Yeah. And he is giving himself and his psyche over to you entirely. I was a little surprised he didn't have a better answer for why he played this shell game of creating new monikers to work under. I mean... This is a guy with about 400 songwriting credits to his name, but always within a partnership with Jay Maskus and Dinosaur Jr., or Eric Gaffney and Jason Lowenstein and Sebado, or with John Davis and Folk Implosion, or even calling himself Centrido to differentiate his Sebado material from the stuff he wrote with Eric Gaffney. It would not be until 2005 that he would make his first solo record with his own name on it. But four years before that, we got a peek at Lou Barlow, finally free of any creative partner's gravitational pull. Hey, Ash Crack, let's go. Ha <laughs> But before he could simply call himself Lou Barlow, Lou briefly experimented with calling his music Lubicore, like hardcore plus Lou Bar. You get it. The Lubicore album was written and recorded in 2001, a bad year in which Lou got divorced and did way too many drugs, struggled with his demons. It was that kind of year. Hey, peace time, we're in control. There's nothing rotten at the bottom of the soul. I've got to dare to tell the truth. I got my hand on a bottle and I'm gonna go home to sleep. I failed the father above, but I 
could hear from the recording it was a guy in his living room and it didn't matter like mm-hmm. that actually added to the listening experiences it, it was just a guy figuring stuff out it's intimate and sometimes it's so close that you almost feel like you're not supposed to be there yeah. like you've walked in on somebody working something out mm-hmm. it's war time you best believe i'm drunk and i'm on my knees again <laughs> You feel like you're listening to someone confront themselves. He like speaks all of his shame and all of his anger and and all of his love, everything, into that machine. That four track is also his like father confessor. So I brought a lot of Catholic guilt into what I into all of my endeavors. Where does the song start? I think I'm always kind of looking for some kind of reflection in it, you know? I don't know. I'm like, I'm always looking to like, maybe write how I'm really feeling about something to reflect it back onto myself. And that way, and then, and then that actually influences the songwriting. So, so I can have a certain emotion, you know, and be like, I'm angry at something, but I'd rather write, so I can start with that angry, but then I want to like, within that song, dissect that anger and almost talk myself out of it or have something in that song that like brings it back into like brings it the circle back you know brings some kind of self-awareness into it i mean i was always really kind of insulted when people were like you're so sad and you're, you're you're i'm like it's not no there's i swear you know like every i mean not everyone there's certainly there's a few songs i've written that are definitely like real bombers but um i all i swear i always like just put those nuggets of something, especially because if I'm going to be singing these songs live or whatever, I always want to be able to, you know, have a feeling that like they're coming from some kind of like ageless spot for me, like where I'm kind of looking or I'm always sort of looking down and understanding (laughs) the situation rather than being completely immersed and carried away in in a way that would be that lacks self-reflection, you know? And I try to, like... I don't know. I'm probably not describing it. I don't, you know, I haven't really set out a mission statement for what I what I do. You know, I really haven't. I, but I, I definitely write to understand. You know, I write to understand how, how I'm feeling about something. Don't call me writer of the song. I haven't finished one in oh so very long Gonna have to get a job one day Gonna have to fill out the resume What will I put upon the line After 15 years of traveling and drinking getting Too 
I always feel like I'm trying to talk myself out of something. But yeah, I was just trying to understand it. And I don't like pointing fingers. You know, I don't like, I don't like that. I don't like, you know, I mean, I like having that anger. I like having that anger and putting it out there and being honest about it. But I don't, at least in the songs that I write, there's always something, in, at least for me, that signals like a bit more of a, understanding rather than a full-on like you did this to me you know like i hate that i hate it like you know like having my heart broken you know a few times or whatever the song i feel like the songs that i wrote about it you always i mean i have to find out that like why you know i'm responsible for that you don't just get your heart broken for no reason you know it doesn't happen i mean the only thing that 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 does something like that to you are like catastrophic events, you know? Those are the things that you don't have control of that you can literally be like, but if it comes down to like relationship stuff, you know, how deluded are you if you think, you know, I don't know why she left. I don't understand. Really? <laughs> Look at what happened. Go through the, the relationship right now. Take out the details. Unpack all that stuff and look at it and go like, hey, there you go. There's a little map that leads to her getting the fuck out of your life or doing this to you or, you know, fucking this guy or not telling you the truth or fucking, <laughs> like, there it is. There's where it came from. You know, I mean, and not to say fully like, you know, but, it, but it, at least that kind of stuff tempers. I, I can be an extremely angry person. I'm a very, like, anger management, like, I can be extremely explosive so I have I have it is in my best interest to like figure out the way into understanding when things happen to me what would Jesus do would he yell at you like I did well music that was the biggest thing with, with hardcore punk rock to me was uh, there were people in a black flag, minor threat, personal, it's all personal politics that they, they sang about. And, and that was really cathartic for me. It was like, honestly, I mean, to me, it was like, you know, for everything people talk about, the sensitive singer-songwriters of the 70s, which I also love, I found the same thing in a guy, a bald guy screaming at me on stage. You know, I was like, oh, he's taking this ambivalence and he's putting it out there and it's speaking to me and it's cathartic and it's like it's important for me that I'm glad that this person did this and is making this like okay to face it you know and that was a really that was my biggest you know hardcore punk rock just like that that aggression was really putting it out there was and a lot of it that early stuff was pretty nuanced I have to say it wasn't just like yeah, yeah you know it was pretty nuanced. It's like it's a, it's a really strong. I mean, even Black Flag stuff. It's 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 actually really nuanced, even as heavy as it is, and how and 
angry it sounds that within that anger there's a lot of like it's like it's really it's someone struggling for clarity you know and that's that's like that's something that was so important and personal to me and so when i started writing my own songs i definitely took that with it yeah yeah i think i think i think punk was therapy for a lot of young men yeah I'm lucky even to this day that I haven't been thrown in jail or like, I mean, I believe, I mean, really, really? when, yeah, when stuff happened to me, you know, like, you know, when my, my first wife, like when we were, whatever, I came back from a tour and she was fucking my lawyer and like, I fucking smashed everything in that apartment and the fucking cops came and they didn't take me in, you know, they should have. Well, I mean, I mean, but they looked at me. I was like, hey, I'm just a young guy. And she just broke up with me. OK, buddy, you know, <laughs> whatever. I'm just but I'm saying that, like, that's a very close me coming to that, thinking that that was OK mm-hmm. is, is like. I mean, there, but for like the fucking grace of God, I wasn't in a more difficult position or if I didn't, I could have very well been in any of those situations where male anger and this lack of I mean, like this thing that like a lot of us carry around you know like this lack of understanding of of how we feel and the implications of that and and violence and like i'm totally capable of that stuff and it's definitely like i have a very you know i have a real interest in not getting to those points and to understanding because, you know, you get into that circle where you just start to think that, like, well, it's this and that, and if I hadn't done this, and if that didn't do this to me, then I wouldn't Like, then pretty soon you actually are, are literally pointing your fingers at people and blaming them for shit that, sure, they, of course they did these things, and maybe that was wrong, and boy, that's awful that you're hurt, but are you, are you, is that, I mean, are you, not, I mean, you're responsible for that. You are, we are responsible for the things that happen, I mean, for the things that happen, especially in our relationships with other people and that kind of political thing that goes on between people. It's like, you got, you have to take some kind of, I have an interest in taking responsibility for that as much as possible. So I don't, so I don't do bad stuff. Yeah, that's the difference between good and bad writing. The willingness to go into self-analysis. I mean, one of the very first things I ever noticed about his writing was that he wasn't protecting himself. He wasn't protecting um, uh, a style or an identity of some kind. You know, like um, a lot of um, music, especially around that time, you know, like Nine Inch Nails. I'm going to pick on Trent Reznor for some reason. You know, it was always angry music. It was always angry music. And when people asked him, 
Are you an angry person? He would say, no, I'm, I'm not an angry person, but anger just happens to be my creative mode. That's when I feel creative. Anger is what inspires me to create. And what I, one of the first things I noticed about Lou Barlow's writing was that it was so sort of inconsistent from one song to the next because human experience is messy and Lou is going to write about all of it. And that means everything whether it's a brutal self-examination or confronting his anxieties or confessing his loves or writing about the neighborhood cat. Where'd the kitty come from? Where'd the kitty go? The kitty's always hungry. I told the kitty no. So kitty had a ramble. Kitty had to roam Where did Kitty come from? Where did the Kitty go? Hector was the son Of a mountain lion She heard him crying She followed him in She became the apple Everybody's eye When Hector couldn't love her They kitty said goodbye She belonged to another Family up the street I knew they couldn't love her Even half as much as I I love the kitty in the morning The Well is produced and edited by Anson Mount and myself, Brandon Edgens. Theme music by Jonathan Myberg. For more on all the music in this episode, please visit our website, thewellpod.com. Special thanks to Lou Barlow for his candor and honesty. It's something I've come to count on. Did the kitty go? You know she returned The very next day We took her to the doctor The doctor did say The kitty were a woman Day Kitty was a man We took the kitty home He ate a whole can Now me and Hector are friends I think he's gonna stay I think he really loves us All he wanna do is play And you should see him Please leave us a review on iTunes. And while you're there, pick up some Lou Barlow records. Next week, we'll wrap up the Lou Barlow trilogy 
with a look at Lou's more playful side. Until then, have a great week. Wherever he came from, well, now he's got a home. If you go to Lou's vast and confusing website, lubicore.com, you can find the last known picture of Ray, the day kitty, before he disappeared for the final time, sitting inside Lou's house, looking up at the door, plotting his escape. Underneath the picture, Lou wrote, I hope he's happy. Traitor. Thank you.